Welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me today is Court Winston. Good day to you, Katie. Were you trying to decide what day it was? Or I was time trying to decide what morning? time of day it was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're all a little crazy after the snowmageddon. <laughs> um, we also have Cameron Span. Hello, and I also don't know what day it is. This week is weird. I am, I'm not sure what time it is. I'm not sure where I am, really, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> and we have a very special guest today. So we've had Court's brother on the show before. Indeed. And now we're going to have Cam's sister. My lovely sister, Maggie Rocket. Woo! Yes, hello. She's a rocket. Rocket. Yes. She is. She's a mortgage loan officer at First Horizon. I'll give you your platform in a minute. But the funny <laughs> thing is, she does not work for Rocket Mortgage. She's just in the mortgage industry, and her last name is Rocket. I'm sure you get that all the time, Maggie. I do. I had someone apply with Rocket Mortgage, call me, and say, I put in my application, and I said, I can't find it. <laughs> They said, well, I went to Rocket Mortgage. And I said, that's not where that's I work. That's not me. <laughs> so please don't do that. What are we talking about today, Katie? <laughs> We've got Maggie here. It's going to be a bunch of different things. We're going to kind of talk about inflation. Obviously, Maggie knows a lot about mortgage loans and what's going on right now in the world. This is going to be touching on generations as well. Y'all remember the generation episode we oh, did. Yeah. So it's going to be on you know the boomer generation, the millennial generation, and really, hopefully, this is an eye-opening episode on expenses, how things have gotten more expensive, but how you can also have some hope with all of this, because that's what Maggie promised us. She's like, I really <laughs> hope people listening to this don't go, oh, well, I'm done. American dream, you know, who has that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I got to be very careful about how I say this. I think all of us are probably familiar with the uh, internet memes that, that go on and, and uh, sort of the, the running theme that millennials are lazy or that they, they don't work as hard or they don't, whatever the general... Obviously. Among older people. <laughs> and then a very frequent counterpoint that I see from millennials to that point is it's not that we're not working hard. It's that prices have gotten so out of hand that yeah. where older generations were able to live on a single income, have a person that was permanently in the home to care for the home and to care for the children, and housing prices were so low that you could buy a two-story, 3,000-square-foot house for $10,000 and, you know, all of these things that, like, we just don't have that anymore. You know, you're looking at the, the same size house nowadays costs four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand dollars mm -hmm. You've got both people in the home. If, if you're a two-parent home, then you probably have both people working, so on and so forth. So I think that that's kind Kind of, you know, you hit it on the head. That's exactly yeah. what this conversation yeah. about. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like with everything. Every generation has their own struggles. They have something that they're combating because I know, you know, David's talked about, oh, yeah, the houses cost may have been cheaper, but then it was you know, 12, 14 percent interest rate. Mm -hmm. And so every generation has something. And so this is kind of addressing, hey, this is what happened before. This is what's going on right now. But how can you kind of overcome this and still, you know, make your dreams happen and go from there. Right. And per yeah. usual, Gen X, we're just feral. We're, <laughs> we're just out there like scrounging in the you woods. You were just left alone at home all day, every day, and you're just salty. I was going to say, because yeah, we'll know you're Gen X and yeah. then millennial, millennial, and you're millennial as well. Yes. Perfect. I'm so excited about this episode. But first, as always, we have a list. A list. Comparing fast food prices from the boomer era to today. Ooh, y'all. This is the list. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal. Okay, I'll kick it off. So we're at McDonald's and a hamburger. Mm. So it used to be 19 cents. Now it's $2.18. 
a change of 1,063% increase. Mm. And that's probably not even the Big Mac, right? That's probably I, just I a think that's your plain, little, like, deluxe whatever. Yeah. Like the little bitty one. That's just, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. just a the hamburger. Bread and the burger. Yeah, this is wild. not your specialty one. <laughs> the next one on the list is actually McDonald's Big Mac. And uh, back in the boomer era, I guess we're probably saying, like, when the boomers were kids or when they yeah. were, when they yeah. were yeah. Back in the boomer era, the Big Mac was 49 cents. And now a Big Mac is $5.89. There it is. And that's just... That's ridiculous. That's just your burger. That's not the fries, the Coke, yeah. anything like that. That's a 1,194% increase. That is crazy. Oof. And then McDonald's, talking about the size, small French fries were 10 cents. Oh. Mm. I don't even know... <laughs> A time where I bought food for ten cents. <laughs> it is now a dollar sixty-five for a small fry, which is one thousand six hundred and fifty percent increase. I think that's the biggest increase on this list, is what I'm seeing. That is, if they went up. And that's the small fry. That's a little beef fry. Ten cents. Yeah. That's wild. That's, that's like, like a little piece of candy. Yeah. <laughs> But then, like, you got the little small fry. That's I like mean, what ten fries in there? Yeah, yeah I don't even ca- I don't even bother carrying dimes around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you can't buy anything they don't do for anything a dime. For you. <laughs> All right, gang, I'm taking us down the road to Burger King. The mm. Whopper, the Whopper, w- was 39 cents when the Boomers were rocking and rolling in their youth. Now it's five dollars and fifty nine cents. That's a change of fourteen hundred thirty three percent. Okay, now let's go to the Frosty. And this is probably like your plain Frosty, the chocolate one, not the, you know, when they get special with their white chocolate one. Oh, that they would be had a pumpkin spice <laughs> pumpkin Frosty. One, yeah. I wanted to go to somebody at Wendy's and just slap them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you had your quarter, then you could get a Wendy's Frosty. A quarter. A quarter. But now you need $2.89 for uh, your Frosty, and that's a 1,076% increase. Okay, so that's more than your little French fries. That's um, good. I, I will also just point out that when I was when I was a teenager, <laughs> I, I could go to Wendy's and get a double cheeseburger combo, biggie-sized, with a Diet Coke for $5.47. And now that mother costs like I don't even know what they charge because I can't eat burgers anymore. It's probably but about ten dollars. Like 11, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say eleven or twelve. Yeah, biggie size. And big, yeah. I was say like, biggie size is dating you because they yeah. don't make Mm-mm. that anymore. No, it's just it's the same. Listen, they're <laughs> we, we still like selling biggie, biggie size. size. Yeah. They just stopped calling it biggie yeah. size. Yeah. But the size of the fries and the size of the drink is still biggie size. <laughs> <laughs> I think they wanted to like get rid of that connotation, but they all had them. You know, upsize my order. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pizza Hut medium pizza. Wow, man! Imagine getting a medium pizza for. Anyway, um, now $14.99. That's a 749% increase. Hey, you can go to Little Caesars. They still, do they still have $5 pizzas? Uh, No. It tastes like cardboard. $5 hot and ready? I'm not sure. I think you can still get their very, very base products for $5 hot and ready, but um, most of the stuff, they're like the extra most bestest cheese pizza now, where they add, they actually add some cheese to it instead of just having like the sprinkling of cheese that the $5 hot and ready had and that one costs like seven dollars so you know they're still really pretty economical taste economical speaking of pizza hut does anybody remember the buffet yeah yeah 100 that was my childhood awesome remember having parties there yes man man they should bring that back okay guys i'm drooling Further, we're moving to Taco Bell, which is my husband's favorite fast food post. Then you could get a Crunchy Taco Supreme for 49 cents. And now you would pay $2.67. Wild. 
That's crazy. Yeah. They don't even have a dollar menu anymore. I've been seeing videos about it. It's like their $3 menu. Well, like, we used to go to Taco Bell partially because it was so cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, just to feed me and Robin, it's it's Robin's favorite restaurant, too. So just to feed me and Robin, it, it can be over $20. I mean, that's insane. A Taco Bell. <laughs> and wrapping up the list is a bonus. That would be your standard movie ticket. Back then, it was $4.94. Now it is $14. That's a change of 181% increase. Honestly, I'm not sure that that's entirely accurate because when I was a kid, a movie ticket was $5. Oh, wow. So I'm betting when boomers were younger, it was probably significantly lower than that. Although this is probably also the national average. So here in Memphis, when I was a kid, I could get into a movie for five bucks. I mean, a little insider baseball because my brother worked at the movie theater and the ticket prices are going all back to the movie companies and stuff like that where the theaters make their money is on the concessions. concessions. Yeah. And so that's why, like, let's do that popcorn, which, um, you know, we just celebrated National Popcorn Day on January 19th. We missed it. Yeah. Popcorn is numb. <laughs> nom, 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 nom. Oh my gosh. That's what? It's delicious. I'm it is, it is delicious. The butter sent through the air vents oh, yeah. of a movie theater yeah. to get you to buy it because the minute yeah. you walk in, you're like, I need popcorn now. They do that in Disney. They really do. Really? Yeah, they've come out and said that. They have a smell of popcorn that goes through. Mm. Mm. Kind of like the smell of the Pirates of the Caribbean yep. water. Yep. Well, it works. Mm. It does. <laughs> Okie dokie. That is our list. Um, so now that you are a little depressed about your fast food <laughs> and how expensive it is, and, and you can be like, back in my day, it only cost this much for my Taco Bell. <laughs> okay, let's get into uh, the meat and potatoes of this episode. So... Uh, Maggie, I'm going to let you kind of run with this and then we'll kind of chime in. But talk to us a little bit about millennials and Gen Z's and what they're facing with the housing challenges. There are a lot of challenges there. We're in a different world. And, you know, when we talk about rates, those are cyclical. And even boomers saw cycles. Of course, they're going to say, well, I remember my house. You know, there are people where the Freddie Mac average rate was, you know, 18 percent. Golly. Yeah. Some people had slightly higher, some people had slightly lower. And, you know, when people started talking about 12% rates, it was a rush. People were excited yeah. about their low rate. Millennials, because of the rate storm of 2019, 2020, mm-hmm. they want to see those low rates again. You know, I never want to say never, but <laughs> hey, those got those twos and threes and stuff yes. like that. Those and... were the days. <laughs> yes. Well, but yeah. it's, you know. <laughs> There's an impact on the economy with that. And so it's like, okay, great. You took advantage of that. But what was the economy doing at that point? Let's think about that. Who here refinanced during COVID? I sure did. When those rates dropped, I refinanced so hard. There was a lot of people that refinanced. I happened to buy a new house in 2020, so I got a low rate locked in. You did good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You did good, kid. (laughs) It is interesting perspective because you were saying like 12%. Everybody's like, yes, I got to go. I got to get this house. And so that's perspective of that time. And Mm -hmm. so at that point, you know, 2020, we had... Two, three percent is like, oh, my gosh, we got to get that because people had six and sevens and things like that. So it's all what part of the world are you in? What time is going on at that point? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And not everybody was ready to refinance or purchase at that time, which I love that. People are like, well, you shouldn't complain about it. You should have just done it then. But not everyone was in the place to do that. Maybe it wasn't in your financial plan. (laughs) Yeah. So when we talk about all of this, I think a lot of people's experience, especially for millennials, they're looking back at the Great Recession. That's kind of when they remember. That's when they kind of started adulting, coming out of college, (laughs) 
going, what are we doing with our lives? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the kickoff, I think, to this big story of the challenges in the housing market. I mean, that's the thing is, is that, okay, you know, just think about the difference of not that long ago when people were going to college and then immediately you know, getting married or maybe got married during college and then starting a family as soon as they got out. Mm -hmm. Now that's not really a trend anymore. A lot of people are getting married a little bit later, starting families a little bit later. And so there's not that rush to... I'm going to buy a house. Let me take you back to 1995, okay? 1995. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, 1995 was was the year that I married my wife. Um, <laughs> my wife. My wife. And we got married, and we lived for a year after marriage in an apartment. Okay. I was still going to school at the time. So Robin had graduated from college, had gotten a job, and was working at a bank. And we got married. We were living uh, in an apartment on the river, and I was still going to school. And then in 1996, I graduated from school. And I can't remember, I think we might have spent one more year in the apartment. And then we bought a house because we had put away enough or whatever to make a 20% down payment on our house, which I think our first house was, say, 1,800 square feet, maybe, and cost us like $115,000. And in two years of marriage, one of which I wasn't even working, we were able to save up enough. We might have had some some help from parents in terms of like giving us some of the money to, to make that initial down payment yeah. for the house. But then we were in a house and that would have been, let's say, like in 97 that we were in the house. And then by 98, we were having a kid. Our first kid was born in 98. So, you know, over the course of three years, we got married, bought a house, had a kid, and we had a lot of life in three years. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, we had within seven years of our marriage, we had already reproduced as many times as we were going to. And, you know, we were done with that part. And we were like, okay, what else do we do now? (laughs) Nowadays, that just doesn't happen. I mean, you know, 95. Okay. So median home prices since 95 have tripled, but the amount of money that people are making has not seen that same kind of increase. The wages are are relatively flat in the same time that we've seen such an increase in the pricing of houses. So where in 1980, you could get a home for like three times the median income. Now it takes seven times the median income. So housing prices have gone up significantly. I doubt very seriously. I think our starter home, what we considered a starter home, I think now probably goes for $300,000, $350,000. That's the stat that millennials are latching on to where it says today it requires seven times the median income. They're yeah. like, that's not fair. No yeah. one else had to deal with this. And it is kind of fun to reminisce. Our first house in Memphis in 2013, we bought it for $101,000. It was 1,000 square feet, one bathroom. It was tiny. Mm-hmm. We sold it five years later for 118, which is not a big increase. We were looking on Zillow the next year. That girl sold it for $200,000, yeah. a 1,000 square foot house. Yep. Wild. Why would you buy a house that size for that amount of money? Our house we bought in 17 and sold in 22 and almost doubled. Whoa. And that is, that's relative to markets. You know, certain markets, when the rates were very low, saw the fight, the competition, people offering crazy amounts of cash over asking price. Mm-hmm. Which caused that. But yeah, I mean, different markets saw that. But I thought that was ridiculous that in Louisiana, you're going to see 
oh my goodness, it's doubled its value right. in just a few years. <laughs> okay, look at it. We've talked about fast food before, but it's the same thing with the thing about houses. Mm-hmm. It's the whole supply and demand. It's what's going on. It's different areas like you think about in the Memphis area. Okay, there's certain areas of town where there's lots of land people are building. There's other parts that it's locked in. You have to buy an existing home. And so there's not a lot of houses for sale. And so people can get away with paying a lot more or asking for a lot more because they know people are willing to pay what they have to to get into the certain. Yeah, they want the school districts or they want the safety or things like that. And so, yeah, when you look at that number of three times versus seven times of the income needed, then it is a gut punch. You're like, that's not fair. But then we've got to look at everything else going on right now and figure out. I'm not necessarily so interested in what is fair or not fair (laughs) as much as I am just, you know, don't judge us based on the life that you lived 20 years ago or 40 years ago. What what I experienced in 95 is not what people are today are experiencing. But what I experienced in 95 is also not what my parents experienced in 65 or 70. Exactly. You know, it, it's just different. And it may favor one group over another in some aspects. But we're not we're not really necessarily talking about fairness here so much as we are just awareness. Be aware that situations change and you're not comparing apples to apples when you compare people nowadays to people two decades or four decades ago. Completely different worlds we're living in. A couple other stats that millennials are latching onto, and we can unpack these if you want to. Uh, One is millennials graduate with an average of $30,000 in student loan debt, significantly higher than boomers. And many millennials face delay career advancement due to the recession impacting long-term earning potential. Abby and I combined, we had $40,000 of student loan debt. And we knocked that out in the first few years of marriage. We were like, pay it, pay it, pay it. I mean, like freaking Dave Ramsey over here. Get rid of it. And I'm glad it's gone. Our final payment, I emailed the loan people. I said, I never want to hear from you again. (laughs) It just felt good. It was cathartic. You need to let them have it just a little bit. I mean, my only note with that would be is obviously that worked for you and Abby. That was y'all's plan, paying it off. I have to do my due diligence and say, like, that's not always the best plan for everybody to be super, super aggressive sometimes. So, Court, you said awareness. So sometimes in order for someone to get a home or do different things. It may be that they aren't able to pay their student loans down as aggressively. They need to structure their budget where it's, I'm going to pay what I need to pay on these loans. I'm going to you know try and pay enough where I'm not accruing additional interest, but my cash I need available to then enrich my life, get this home I need, move to the different places because it's a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And so I have seen some people where they were so aggressive, paid off their student loans, all of that, and then they never were able to catch up because they put so much towards that that they should have had a balanced approach of put a little bit in this account over here to save for a house or save for a car or things like that. Put a little bit over here to take care of your debt because, yes, it's it's your debt. You took it out. It sucks. The government's not going to come and wipe it away. I know that's a whole political thing with that. But that's where you get strategic with talking with your advisors talking with people about how does this debt actually impact you? And I've heard from a mortgage standpoint, some people are like, oh, I can't get a mortgage if I have student loan debt. Well, you don't know that's for sure. You need to talk to somebody about your situation. And loans every day for people with hundreds of thousands of dollars (laughs) in student loan debt. So it comes down to ability to repay. One of the good things that came after the housing fiasco of 0708 is they came down and said, we need to create some tighter guidelines. So everyone's treated the same way. Mm -hmm. But we've got the opportunity to help more people own homes responsibly. Yeah. But yeah, we do loans every day for people with student loans. But I think, you know, one of the really great things that you can gather from boomers is 
asking about how are these student loans going to impact me before you take them out? That's something Mm -hmm. that I think we really missed the boat on as far (laughs) as the lending practices for student loans. And now there's a whole generation that's kind of caught in that. So I think for future generations, let's share that knowledge and that those do come due. <laughs> but it's kinda, eventually <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, we had the housing issue and a lot of people talk about that. Make sure you don't buy too big of a house. Make sure you don't get in these situations. So then not only did consumers mindsets change, but also, as you said, practices were put in place to make sure y'all were being fair with people that you're not letting people get into these situations if they don't show that they can repay. And so I think our student loans are going to be the thing that then trickles down to the next generation of, okay, got to think about houses and student loans. But you're right. It's so much of it is just awareness. It's understanding of what you can and can't do, what fits within your situation. And again, we're big planners over here. If maybe you go to a lender and they say, we can only do this now. You know, financial planners, all of that will be willing to work with you on how to get to your goal if that's what you're wanting to do. And don't just take a, well, I can't get a house until you at least try and ask the questions. Absolutely. And if you get, if you're serious about buying a house this year or in the next three years, or you have a grown kid that's talking about wanting to own a mm-hmm. home, get in touch with a lender. Don't make assumptions based off what TikTok or social media is telling you or the news. You know, that person going ahead and taking your application, looking looking at your full picture, because it's going to be different. Someone with the same credit score may apply and get more or less house than you based on debt ratio and a lot of different factors that make you unique. And then even if you're not buying a house now, the answer is never no. It may be not right now, but you get a list of, hey, here's everything you need to work on. Not just go work on your credit, but here's how to work on your particular credit. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's some things you need to do. And then in the forthcoming months, you have an expert in your back pocket that knows your full story, and you can ask them any question. Hey, I got a better job offer. Is that going to hurt me? Is that going to help me? Can you tell me what that would do? And they've got everything they need to give you those answers. There's no negative to going ahead and connecting yourself to someone who can actually give you better information (laughs) than TikTok. (laughs) Right. And it, it may seem obvious to us, but can you explain to our listeners what debt ratio is? Yes. One of the biggest pieces of qualifying for a mortgage loan is the debt ratio. And how that's calculated is we have to add up all of your debts. That's why we have to pull a credit report. So we're going to look at every credit card. You know, the minimum monthly payment is $25. There's $25 added to your debt ratio. Car notes, any installment debts. If you love to use a firm and after pay and all those things, we have to add those in there. Um, And then we create an estimated payment for the proposed house you would like to buy. And that is your total debts expected. And we divide that by your total monthly income. And that is the ratio. So, yeah, we're looking for the goal would be for it to be under 43 percent. But there are certain circumstances where it can go over that, especially if you have certain strengths. Interesting. Y'all are on somebody's side. You're not the bad guys. You're not the one. No, to just we want to close the loans. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do that. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is, you know, people will go, oh, well, they're just they're not going to do it. They told me I can't. And it's like, no, if you listen to them and see what it is and they'll be willing to work with you. I know when I purchased my house in uh, 2020, then my husband had just gotten into the car business. And so he went from having a salary to commission. And so we had to combat that. He didn't have several years of commission. And I'm like, well, but we know the money's coming in. 
And then when you think about it from your perspective, you're looking out for the best interest of the client of, I want to verify that this commission is going to be consistent. And so we want to see those records of this is on average of what you're bringing in. And, you know, I was willing to work it out where we were able to get the house and just kind of be creative with how we needed to structure that because we didn't have those years of, you know, commission coming in. Exactly. But that's where getting with a lender, especially if you're wanting to make career changes and also housing questions, Mm -hmm. you know, you're starting to really think in that vein. It's it's a really good idea to get with them because they can say, okay, here are changes you can make that I can use that income, and here are changes that I cannot. All of a sudden, you go from you know $100,000 income to I actually have no income I can use. I think the biggest takeaway I want people to know is that talk to you early. Talk to your lender early on because too many people are like, oh, I found the house I love. Guess I need to talk to a lender. Well, why didn't you talk to a lender earlier on as you were like, I think I want to get another house. I think I want to do this. Like, yeah. go ahead and start early. No, do it now. And then the minute you find a house, it takes minutes to update a pre-approval. Yeah. And you are all of the sudden at the front of the list of offers instead of, you know, several hours into an offer frenzy. Yeah. You know, because homes are still, there are still those gems coming up for really good value. And they know, go quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I know I've had a great partnership with lenders as clients have been finding houses and we've been trying to structure okay, selling one house, buying another, where's the down payment coming from? And that it's kind of having your team of people. You've got your advisor, you've got your lender to really figure out what's going to be your best option on how much to put down to make sure you've got that payment, but also not putting so much down that you're impacting your entire picture. You don't feel like you're in house jail all of a sudden. Exactly. So so you're saying if you contact your lender early on, it's like the genie fast pass at Disney, right? Just jumps you ahead of the line. (laughs) It kind of does. Yeah. Man. That's interesting. Yeah. But a lot of people hold off, I think, because they're scared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're nervous. They're like, well, what if I hear no? Yeah. And my answer has never been no. My answer is, okay, here's what we need to do. And sometimes it's the timeline is 30 days. Sometimes it's six months. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a year. And a lot of that depends on so many different factors. But you get your whole story and exactly what you need to be working on. And I think that's so much better than you're going to get from just, oh, well, I don't want to hear no. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like a generational thing or if maybe it's a, a privilege thing, but I'm intrigued by the idea that someone wouldn't even try because they're afraid they might hear no. Because hearing no was, I would have been gobsmacked if I had been turned down for a loan when I applied for a loan to buy my first house. It would have absolutely blown my mind if I hadn't gotten the loan. So I think that there's been sort of a shift in mentality in that way too, because everything is just different. It's I can't swear to it, but I think we had a, a 6.25% interest rate on our first home loan. And, you know, we did a conventional mortgage, which means, you know, we put down 20% and, you know, finance the rest. And it just never even occurred to me that they might say, ah, your uh, debt to income ratio doesn't doesn't work out. You can't get this house. I, I would have been absolutely flabbergasted. So I don't know. It's, it sounds like things, sounds like people have it tougher than I did <laughs> nowadays. Well, but it's tougher, but it's ultimately for your best interest. It's not that they're like, no, you don't, you get a house and you don't get a house. Mm-hmm. It's more of we've learned from history. We've learned what happened when we were just throwing out mortgages. Left <laughs> and, what movie is that? The big short where uh-huh. you've got the kind of sleazy car salesman guys are like, and you get a house and you get a house. And, you're, and then if you can fog a mirror, you get a house. Yeah. I always hear David saying that. Yeah. <laughs> and then what happened is then these people were devastated because, you know, times changed and 
they had to get rid of these houses and you had foreclosures happening and banks taking them from you. And so there's guidelines in place for the betterment of you to put you on the right track. And so while, yes, it may take a little bit longer Ultimately, it should put you in a better situation, which I know is frustrating to hear because it's like, well, no, I just want them to give it to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maggie, I know it's ever changing, but today, the day we are recording this, what's the interest rate looking like? I can't quote that Uh without very particular. (laughs) I don't want to get you in trouble. um, Without very particular information. But ladies and gentlemen, she's pulling out of a crystal ball right now. (laughs) Uh She's looking into it. (laughs) If I had that, Mm -hmm. I would be so rich right now. (laughs) I I had that crystal ball. Um. Rates did kind of hit a a high for this rate cycle in the eights. Okay, we saw that kind of before the holidays. And then we saw a retreat from that, which has been a breath of fresh air. So we're kind of looking in the sixes. Now, a lot of that's going to depend on your sales price, how much of your down payment, your credit score is playing a really big role in how that's calculated now. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, there have been different ways that they're pricing now based on that. So, you know, everybody's situation is going to be different, which is why I can't say the rate today is. But I will say for a lot of the people that kind of have been sitting on the sidelines, this is a good time to go ahead and start putting your toes back in the water and give that a shot. And also, you know, you mentioned putting 20% down in 1995. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are still under the understanding that I've got to save up 20% even while rent has doubled or tripled for Uh me in the last few years. And you don't. First-time homebuyers can put down as little as 3%. There are 100% loans out there. There's, you know, people who aren't first-time homebuyers can put down as little as 5%. Mortgage insurance is a whole different animal that actually can be helpful to people who are paying sky-high rent and can't okay. save up 20%. But that's helpful. Of, yeah. I mean, there are lots of things out there that have been created to help the first-time homebuyer or the people that are, are feeling strapped by the cost of life versus income not increasing at the same rate. <laughs> this has been a fascinating conversation. We've been hanging on to point one for a while. Well, I was going to say, you actually hit on another section of the of the talk is, is actually cost of living versus wages. Yeah. Well, and I want to just bounce back. Credit score has been said several, several times. And that's what, like, go back and listen to our credit score episode. We told you that that is such an important number. And, um, you know... Maggie said this, but I want to say like, you know, she threw out an interest rate number, but there's so many factors that go into that. Like I know my husband was saying he was saw a car to somebody the other day and they had an interest rate coming in that was 26%. And that was a true testament. You could tell immediately, there's something going on with that credit score of that one. <laughs> and so, you know, you can't just go in and be like, oh, I heard Maggie say it's around the sixes. Well, if your credit score is in the tanker, then that may not be the case. Yes, yes, that changes the picture for sure. But that's why a lender is great because they can also look at it and say, okay, here are the things that are hurting your credit and here's how we can help it in X amount of time. I just want to point out that there is an expression that goes something like this. Oh, that'll really tank your credit score. And then Katie managed to take that expression and then turn it into something new and wonderful that I'm like picturing like an oil tanker because she <laughs> said, your credit score is in the tanker. So like, <laughs> I love it. Just shipping off down the sea. I just I like, like it. It's, 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 we've thrown your credit score in a tanker. It's sailing off into the sunset. You it's, might as well say bye bye. And you. if you're not careful, yeah. it'll be the Titanic and just yes. <laughs> You better hold the rope and pull it back because it's gone. Uh, okay. Cost of living versus wages. Wages haven't kept pace with the rising cost of living. 
living, particularly housing. Court, do you want to take the boomer stats and I'll combat it with the millennial stats? Sure. That sounds like a fun way to go. <laughs> Just disclaimer, I'm not a boomer. But I'm not. Oh, okay. okay. You're, the, you're the closest <laughs> you're thing the to closest. a boomer in this room. <laughs> All right. Uh, data and statistics comparing boomers buying power versus millennials and Gen Z. While the Gen Xers are just out there still being feral. <laughs> <laughs> um, median income for boomers at age 30, $48,000. Median income for millennials at age 30, 44200 Median home price for boomers when they were 30 was $24,800. Get ready for this one. Median home price when millennials were 30, $309,400. Oof. Oh. Man, gut punch. 2023. Yeah. In 2023, only 25% of homes were considered affordable for the median income earner compared to 50% of homes being considered affordable back in 1980. Good grief. In 1970, a teacher could afford a house on a single income. Today, even two teacher salaries might not be enough to afford a median-priced home in many areas. Okay, I'm going to do something a little bit nerdy for just two seconds. Nerd out, uh, baby. Stick with me. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard us refer to median. If you don't remember your grade school and high school maths, there's something called median. There's something called mean. The mean would be the average if they were to take all of the wages all over, you know, and add them all up and then divide them by the number of total wages. That's your average or your mean income. Your median income takes the spectrum of uh, salaries of a particular segment of whatever. And the full spectrum, it finds what is the income, the single income data point that is exactly in the middle from the top and the bottom. So if you were wondering what the heck median is, that is what the median is. And that's your math lesson with court. <laughs> Maths with court. And court's not even particularly good at maths. So <laughs> Better than me. That's why I'm a communications major. <laughs> I mean, the rising housing costs have obviously increased since the 70s. And the reasons for that is supply and demand. It's building material cost, limited land ability, because I mean, that's a big thing, especially in this area, is they're not making any more land. <laughs> and so it's, you know, start building on top of each other, knocking things down. And so it all plays into it on why things are getting so much more expensive. And it's, as you saw with pairing the French fries, it's getting more expensive to have the products. Mm, Tencent French fries. <laughs> you want to talk about student debt? The hot button? I mean, I will start this off by again saying that I, th I find that we're in a really interesting time because when I was growing up, my parents raised me that college was the be all end all. Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't whether or not I was going to college. It was I am going to college. The only question is where. Yeah. And that was all based on this idea that a college education would provide you with a better living uh, and better job prospects than if you just went out into the workforce with only a high school degree. And I think on average, even today's statistics will show that on average, someone with a college degree has higher earning potential than someone without a college degree. But the fact of the matter is that when you take into consideration the amount of debt that a lot of people are going into just to get a college degree that they're not even sure they need or want because they don't know what they want to do, it really is striking how silly that seems, especially when you consider the inflationary prices that we're seeing for a college education. That combined with debt, combined with the usefulness of the degree, you see a lot more people focusing on vocational education mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, learning how to actually do a job that is in demand while you're in high school and then being able to apply those skills to that trade immediately after you graduate from high school and going on from there. So I and think those we're trade jobs being so yeah. competitive. You're mm-hmm. now paying great money for those things, which is kind of encouraging a lot of people against the typical four year track. Yeah. yeah. Court, we're on the same wavelength because I was going to say this feeds into something we've talked about countless times mm-hmm. on here, and that's workforce development. 100. And it's encouraging to see this new wave of teachers, students, schools, school districts jumping on board workforce development. College is not for everyone. Maggie, you know our dad was college or nothing. I told him, I kind of want to go to L.A. and pursue acting. And he's just like, shut up and get out of my face. <laughs> but in his, After college. Yes, a- after college, must get degree or you will die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this wave of just like, you don't have to go to college. I mean, Carverville High School, we've talked about this, was almost founded upon workforce development. We have 20-something different tracks here, one being welding, and these kids can get certifications and immediately graduate high school and make $80,000 just with the yeah. certifications. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. Instead of racking up $100,000 in student debt for a degree that you will not use. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day about how a lot of times it makes more sense if you know you're going the college route get those basic core classes out of the way at a community college, something, you know, lower expense, and then go to the bigger school for the more technical classes of the degree you want to go into. But, I mean, that's the thing is, is that make sure you do your research and just not, oh, I'm going to go to college and I'll figure it out. Like, that's expensive to be figuring it out. So here's a, (laughs) again, I'm going to drop a time bomb for you all. I I don't remember exactly. So these these numbers uh, don't go checking historical data and and then calling me up and saying, like, you got this wrong. But back in 1991, 92, you know, my senior year in college when I was looking at schools, the most expensive school that I looked at was a private university that would have cost $20,000 a year. I hear. I hear. also applied to several public universities, including University of Tennessee, University of Colorado. University of Tennessee with in-state tuition was going to cost me somewhere around like $5,000 a year, maybe six. But the more expensive out-of-state tuition of University of Colorado was going to cost me a whole $13,000 a year. And this was in 91? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, somewhere around. It was either eleven or thirteen. I can't remember, but I was just a toddler. I ended up going <laughs> to Rhodes College, and tuition when I started at Rhodes College, I believe, was under twenty thousand dollars a year. I think it was around sixteen, maybe seventeen thousand dollars a year. Again, don't go back and check me on that uh, because I could be slightly wrong. But those were those were the approximate numbers. And let's talk about what the numbers look like now. Let's round robin this, shall we? Yeah, we shall. Since 1980, the cost of tuition and fees at public universities has increased by 213 percent. Private universities, the increase is even steeper, 245 percent over the same period. This means that a year at a public university now costs an average of $35,338, while a year at a private university costs, again, on average, $51,690. graduating with an average of $30,000 in student loan debt, while Gen Z graduates with an average of $25,000. Well, at least oh, we're seeing that number yeah, drop a little. It's going down. It drop. Good. And, and I do think there's a lot more um, companies that are coming on board with helping pay for education, and it's more of like, going in for an interview of like, I'm willing to do these other things, but I want to wait until 
how does that benefit my job? And does that mm-hmm. actually, or am I just getting another degree in something? Yeah. And lastly, this debt burden significantly impacts their ability to save for a down payment on a home. Boy, do I see that all the time on social media. But again, the negative news out there, I think that's the kind of stuff that people see and it makes them just too scared to try. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll say for the people listening that are millennials or Gen Z, I would say a lot of them would say my student loan debt is over $30,000. Yeah. I look at people's applications every day and we're talking 120,000. Oh, man. 200,000. Yeah. yeah. And their salary does not touch that. Well, even just with like federal loans, you can get a, a significant amount of money to to pay for your tuition, to help you with your living expenses while you're in school. If you come from a situation where you absolutely want to go to college and you're you don't have any money saved up, maybe you're not receiving support from anybody else, and so you're having to pay for it yourself. Those loans they, they can cover a lot, but obviously also you're gonna have to pay it back. Mm-hmm. And you're getting a, a degree in the humanities. Mm. Know what you're doing with that mm-hmm. if you're yeah. going to take out a hundred thousand dollars, you yeah, know. And I 100%. think that's a conversation that just wasn't being had. Yeah. That I think now the benefit is we're talking trades, we're talking with younger people about student loans, mm-hmm. how debt works. You will have to pay this back, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is and not like, free money. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, there are employers that are willing to, upon hiring, you know, if you have certain degrees or whatnot, help pay for student loans or that kind of thing to help improve their odds of hiring people with yeah. those degrees. Yeah. Court question. Hmm. What did it feel like to go to college at Hogwarts? <laughs> <laughs> Rhodes is the most beautiful college. Maggie, have you seen it? Have you driven by? It's near the zoo. It's just all stone. It looks like Hogwarts. It's okay. beautiful. To this day, I frequently see articles about schools with the prettiest campuses in the country and so forth. And Rhodes regularly makes the list of prettiest uh, school with one of the prettiest campuses among all the schools in the country. And uh, the buildings are beautiful. They all are made from limestone. The exterior is always uh, limestone. Every building matches every other building. There's not been a building built on that campus that didn't have a limestone exterior. And they do. They look like giant castles, every single one of them. Leviosa. Okay, last little stats we've got on here. Um, We already kind of talked about that things are changing and people are marrying later, having kids later, which is impacting the housing timeline as well. Uh, We can kind of round robin this one. The medium age at first marriage, boomers for women was 23.2 and men 25.5 versus millennials are waiting until 29.5 for the ladies and 31.1 for the men. I'm going to make a joke here. If it lands flat, you can just cut it out. Yeah. Okay. So next, median age at first birth. Well, I would think everybody's median age when they're born would be zero because when you're born, it's... No. Okay. Right, let's see where you're going with that. The wording is weird here. Yeah. Median age... When When you have your first child, how about that? The median age when you have your first child for boomers was 22.2 years for women. And for millennials was 26.4 years for women. And I think it's even older. I think it's older. Yeah. For Gen Z. Percentage of people childless at age 40. Boomers, 10%. Millennials, 19%. Yep. That's changed for sure. Mm -hmm. I swear I'm a boomer at heart. I got married at 22. So that just tracks. (laughs) (laughs) It's median. Like it's, there's so many exceptions to this. And that's why we keep making comments about what's out there on social media, what's there on TikTok. And the biggest thing is you are your own unique situation. So do not go, oh, well, such and such on TikTok said that I'm not going to be able to get a loan, so I'm not even going to try. 
you don't know till you try. Go talk to Maggie. Go talk to somebody. Talk to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's been there's definitely been a delay. I mean, back to what I said a lot earlier on, you know, most households these days, I think a significantly larger number of households these days are two income households. And that's out of necessity for a lot of people. And I think as part of that, when you're focusing on, okay, I have to have a career to be successful as a family, we both need to have successful careers. A lot of people focus on getting that career in place before they even consider getting married and certainly before they consider having children. And so you are seeing those ages where people are waiting later to have children and waiting later to get married because they want to make sure that their career is in place first. I have no opinion about whether that's a good or a bad thing. I I personally, I'm like you, Cameron. I got married very young. I got married when I was 21. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that was the right way right, to do it, right. you know? So, uh, but I do think that we are seeing an age shift. And uh, as with most things that, that have to do with our society, I I find it intriguing. I, I pass no judgment, but I do find it very intriguing. Well, and I think a lot of things when you talked about delaying, it's like you're trying to get your career going. A lot of people are renting because they're not sure, are, is their career going to keep them in this location? Mm-hmm. Are they going to move somewhere else? Do they want to try living a couple of different places? Yeah. And obviously, COVID really bringing out their remote work and you can work wherever. And so people, I think, are kind of wait, I want to make sure I really want to be here before I put down roots. And then it's also the misconception that just because you get a 30-year mortgage doesn't mean you have to live in the house for 30 years. There's different things about that. Now, changing your house every two years, uh, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Like a pair of shoes, you know. (laughs) Just change it up every two years. That that makes sense. Not. (laughs) Man, today we have talked about mortgage rates. We've talked about childbirth. We've talked about (laughs) McDonald's. Everything. And Hogwarts. College. Yeah. It's been a fascinating conversation. A little bit of everything. You want a bullseye? Court. No, I don't (laughs) want a bullseye. Why? No, I I have no bullseye. Guys, I'm just out in the woods. Just out in the woods, (laughs) living (laughs) off the grid. The feral child. The feral child among us. (laughs) I'll do a quick bullseye. As a millennial, it is really hard not to compare what the boomers experienced, but just try to separate yourself. Like you said earlier, it's a different time. Inflation rates were disgusting back then. At least our rates are better now, right? Mm. That's a positive. So just take everything with a grain of salt. (laughs) Boomers are not the enemy here. Nope. Um, I guess my bullseye would be it's you've got to compare and and there's no point in looking back on what they were experiencing, what they're doing, because each situation is very different. Become aware, ask the questions. You know, if you're really thinking about making a shift, whether it's, you know, a home or things like that, just talk to somebody. Don't be scared to look at it and do not compare yourself to what TikTok is saying. That is the biggest thing. Everyone is unique and can have a totally different situation. And lenders, financial advisors, people like that, we want to help you. And so we want to make this happen. And so the changes have been in place for a reason. And you're not going to do any good just sitting at home going, well, you had it easier back when McDonald's fries were 10 cents. Bullseye. Boom. (laughs) Bullseye. Mine is going to sound a whole lot more like Katie's. But yeah, I would say it's get the information before you just make a decision, whether it's college or buying a house or investing money versus paying off my student loans in a zip. You know, whatever it is, involve the people that know and don't let fear lead that Mm -hmm. because there are so many wonderful things that are in our world that our parents did not have. Let's utilize our resources, our people. Let's get a dream team together. and Dream team. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and take action. Take hold of things and figure out where you are, what needs to happen, and make it happen. Bullseye. Bullseye. <laughs> Before I forget, how can people find you? Yeah. You can Google Maggie Rocket First Horizon. Rocket. <laughs> Not Rocket Mortgage. Not Rocket Mortgage. <laughs> um, although Siri does sometimes connect people to me um, <laughs> that are trying to tell her to call Rocket Mortgage, and that's fine. Hey, that's I love great. to talk to them, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can Google me. You can email me. I'm Maggie, M-A-G-G-I-E, dot rocket, R-O-C-K-E-T-T, at firsthorizon.com. And um, I'd love to chat. Any weird questions you have, <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> You've seen it all. <laughs> I feel like I've seen it all. <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's the closing bell. You've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast Podcast. If you liked what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast beam directly to your device every single Thursday at noon. If you'd like to find out more about Nicole, Cam, Katie, or Court, please feel free to go to our website. That is bullcastpodcast.com. We've got uh, bios up there. You can drop us a, a note, uh, make a comment about this episode or any other episode, or suggest a topic you'd like to hear us talk more about. Plus, we've got some pictures. But if you like pictures and you'd like to see even more pictures, we've got a handle on Instagram. That Instagram handle is at Bullcast Podcast. We also have an X handle, although I really don't like to push it all that much anymore because... Uh, Elon. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, that is also at Bullcast Podcast. And we have a Facebook page. That is Bullcast The Podcast. But, ladies and gentlemen, as we have mentioned many, many times, Cameron, Katie, and Court all work for a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do, find out what we can do for you, find out about our amazing team and our boss, David Pickler, please feel free to go to that website. That website is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ladies and gentlemen, we have given you more than enough to be going on with. So... For now, I'm Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. I'm Maggie. And we done. <laughs> <laughs>